Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Joined today by a creator I'm very excited to talk to. It's Pornsick Pichichote. We're going to be talking about The Good Asian, a story. It's one of Comic Book Herald's favorite comics of 2021. If you go on over and check out the CBH list of the best of 2021, you will absolutely find The Good Asian. We got here a collaboration with Alexandria Tiffany, Lee Lowridge, and Jeff Powell. The Good Asian, if you're not familiar, and some spoilers may follow as we discuss here with Pornsick, uh, we're going to talk about Chinese-American. Edison Hark feels like the kind of Nord detective that's been with the storytelling tradition since the 20s, and it imp- integrates this real-life grounded history of America's Chinese Exclusion Act and the impact on a generation of citizens growing up under an immigration ban. I think it packs particularly necessary punch amid growing anti-Asian sentiment, this repulsive anti-Asian sentiment we've seen in America in particular through 2020 and through 2021. Pornsick, first off, thanks so much for joining to talk about this work in your comics career. I wanted to start right up front, talking good Asian. It's so set amidst the history of the Chinese Exclusion Act and in kind of this American history that I think is, for many of us, myself included, you've spoken in interviews about yourself, kind of lost, right? It's this thing that is lost or hidden or not discussed, right? And in researching the Chinese Exclusion Act, what were the pieces of this that like shocked you the most, I suppose? I mean, I think the fact the, the the fact that it existed shocked me mm-hmm. the most, and that I didn't know about it. You know, I and, and I, you know, I didn't go to high school in this country. I uh, I was born in America, grew up in America, went to high school back in Thailand, came back for college. So maybe if I had gone to high school in America, I would have learned something about it, but I didn't know anything about it. Uh, so the fact that it existed at all, that the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882 prohibited Chinese from coming into America, and then. The um, the Immigration Act of 1924 would you know prohibit Asians and Arabs from entering in America until you know it was loosened a little bit in the 50s and then rescinded completely in, in 1965. I didn't know about any of that, and so that I just found fascinating. I, I and and then as I went into it, there were just I kept uncovering fascinating things. I kept uncovering things of like, wait, this can't be right, can it? Like, mm-hmm. wait, so no one in Chinatown could own, like they could, it's the only place they could inhabit, but they couldn't own anything there, or maybe some of them could. Some of them just like, all those details felt, um, you know, surprising to me. And and so much of the stuff, like even something like the Immigration Act of 1924 and, and the Chinese Exclusion Act, because you hear stories about Asians kind of coming in during that time. And, and you, but what you don't hear about is, you know, how specific that they are, that they could come if they're part of very specific categories and, and all that. So a lot of it for me while I was just going through is just like, well, this can't be right. And then mm-hmm. and then you look into it and you're just like, oh, wow, well, they could because they were part of this specific category. But if they were part of any other specific category, they couldn't. Women before this time couldn't couldn't enter, all that stuff. And, and then I think the other thing that really kind of got to me as I was, as I was you know, less when I was writing the the story, but more sort of the back matter and sort of tying it to the present day was this idea that, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act and everything that was done to sort of keep the Chinese out of country, that sort of, that was the foundation in which the American immigration system was built. You know, mm-hmm. that was when the concept of green cards, green cards and border patrol and, and, and you know, illegal aliens, it introduced that language into the American lexicon. And you can trace its legacy to, to things that are happening now at the border. So yeah. I think I did not realize, you know, I, I, even when I was in it in, in the story, because I was so into the 1930s, it felt isolated. And so to know it's like, oh no, the response to the Chinese sort of coming in to America, it would frame the response to how all immigrants kind of come into America and the way we treat mm-hmm. all immigrants and the way America frames immigrants coming into America. So all of that was was fascinating to me and it was a surprise for me. 
Yeah, that that's really interesting. I mean, I've had the same experience as a reader, you know, because mm-hmm. it's this it's this amazing blend of education. It's a great detective noir story here in the Good Asian, but also um, education or uh, entertainment and education, right? Sure. And it's the education piece of it is all this history that myself I'm just like woefully ignorant of. Same yeah. thing, and then to seeing too, I think the back matter in these issues, and like mm-hmm. for those of you who are catching up with the series digitally or something right or if you're getting the, the trade which i do recommend you do the back matter in the single issues is so incredibly useful i really love what you're including there um Thanks. because it's all this amazing history that really grounds and it, again it's like it's essential because it is so relevant to so many issues that are, are huge right yeah. now in in our country and, and across the world um you know i'm curious so you're working closely with a historical consultant grant yeah. in who's credited on the book um, as this sort of piece of historical fiction, what what is that experience like for you as a creator, um, and and how do you think it sets the good Asian apart? Uh, I mean, I think you know, readers will have to tell me how it sets good good the good Asian apart. What I can tell you is, you know, I I don't know if I could have made this book without Grant, and I'm so sort of grateful to him. I mean, part of what I do, there's a ton of research that goes in, and so you know, all the research kind of fills up in a pool in my head, sometimes in documents and all that. So I kind of have a soup that I can kind of navigate in. But then, you know, it, occasionally what happens, oftentimes what happens is the story will go in a certain way. So you kind of need to run and follow up and make sure the research can sort of cover it. And and because it's all you know, it's all text. It's all, you know, there's not a lot of people who are living in during that time that certainly I have access to, you know, there's always the fear of, did I misinterpret this? Did I misinterpret that? Or, you know, did I, am I taking for granted? And, and one of the mm-hmm. great things I'm talking about grant is that even someone who's like livelihood and, and career is about, is about history. Even Hill's just like, actually, that's a good question. I don't know. Let me look into these documents and let me see. So it's been grateful to yeah. watch him go through that same process. But I don't know if I could have written a book without him because I've always sort of said like, you know, to be an author, you need authority and you need to believe in sort of what you're talking about. And so the thing that Grant gives me at the end of the day is a place where I can check my math and and if it's wrong, he mm-hmm. can check it. And he can be like, no, no, you've misinterpreted this. It's more like this. And I'm like, oh, but I thought I heard this. Like, no, 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 you got to look at that. And mm. and that gives me the authority to kind of author the series and to sort of make, you know, to make the boldness of the moves and to sort of say, you know, and, and it's a it's a weird time that we're living in right now, because I think on the one hand, there's there there's a group of there. There's a contingent of thought that's just like, ah, it's just a comic book. So you can kind of play fast and loose with this stuff. But then on the mm-hmm. other hand, there's a contingent of was like, yeah, but it's there's the Internet and the Internet will tell you everything that you get wrong. So mm-hmm. it, it's trying to figure out, like, you know, you're, you're constantly, you know, going back and forth between between the being pushed and pulled between those two two forces. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I've definitely been very impressed by the clear and evident just weight of the research that you've mm-hmm. put into this. You know, I, I think it is. It's funny when you say, oh, it's just a comic book. You know, it sort of depends on the content and the subject matter. Yeah. Right. Like if we have. Spider-Man thrown back in time right. into 1920s Chinatown, my expectations are lower, I suppose, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> than something like The Good Asian, where, like, no, that's, like, that's the point of the story. Like, that's the that's the message, and that's the the themes that are coming across here. Um, and it's it's bolstered. You know, I, obviously, I put to you, how do, how do you think it sets it apart? And, you know, I can I can tell you, it definitely sets <laughs> it apart for me <laughs> as a reader, because I'm not getting that that level of, of history and weight. And, and again, just the way it is so 
relevant as so much of of our history is right as i think we yeah. increasingly find or i increasingly find as i get older is like yeah, yeah these uh, things that happened hundreds of years ago they're actually way more relevant than uh yeah. than that quote unquote hundreds of years ago suggests you know yeah and and, and i think now we're, we're at this interesting time in society it's like i remember you know when i started reading comics and when i was sort of in you know it, it wasn't vogue to think that fiction was political you know you're like oh you're just reading too too much into it was sort of the mm -hmm. was the common refrain and now we're kind of at this point where it's been interesting to watch everyone sort of as a culture now can see it's like no 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 all fiction is political there, there are political choices that get into all that and that comes with a legacy and that comes with the history and mm -hmm. and and so to you know certainly for me you know and when you talk about sort of its relevancy like the the idea of you know once you make the decision as i did to you know acknowledge that the history sort of affect that that the history of these characters the history of the world affects these characters and the history of these characters in a certain sense affect where we are now it, mm -hmm. it, it gets hard to you know it, it, there's there's a there's a there's more room for a misstep you know there's a larger margin of error and so in, mm. in my case i kind of have to double down to, to to on the research and say like okay i know what i'm talking about here because it just feels like you're walking a tightrope it feels like the margin for error is so large sure sure that's interesting yeah no i think that makes sense so as far as the the you know getting into kind of the detective aspects of it sure. um you know you'll be edison hark here who's a, yeah. a actual police officer it's kind of based on um you know the the charlie chan sort yes. of the, the popularity of that character right and and we'll talk about that a little bit too um i really love how the detective skills manifest like for oh. a comics medium specifically cool. right like the use of these deliberately colored panels you know highlighting the yeah. clues he's finding it reminded me of like a like tv series like psych which yep. i'm super familiar with yep. and uh uh sometimes the way daredevil's powers manifest yep. in comics you know that that sort of visual motif aside from the style of it i was wondering like so it highlights the detective and sort of yeah. the powers that he has. I was wondering if there's something there in terms of, do you think there's anything where that reflects details that are unique to Hark's Asian American experience, that, that yeah. attention to detail? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things we'll see, uh, spoilers, I guess, um, if, you, if you haven't read issue five, but mm -hmm. one of the things we'll see in issue five when we go back into his childhood is that the reason why he likes you, we work for them, you have an opportunity, because of those two things, you have an opportunity to be more than, I, than your family has ever been. So he's so super attentive to details is that, well, he was a kid who loved to draw. Yeah. And so he just had that kind of attention to detail that I think it, you, you know, you make the most of those opportunities and making the most of those opportunities is you watch everything you pay attention to in a parallel universe would have led him to become a great, great artist. But it was his mom who kind of said, like, listen, you know, you have mm -hmm. everything because there that world will t tell you how they want to be treated. And if they tell you how they want to be treated, you treat them that way and you will get Frankie Caraway, this, this millionaire son, the son of this millionaire and millionaire son like likes you, his father had access to that world. So for mm -hmm. so in his mom's eyes, you know, that's all about assimilation. That's, you know, reading the room and code switching. It's all about assimilation. And so that to me is when you're seeing those red boxes, that, that's Hark's to, to me, Hark's real superpower is the power to read the room is the right. power is the power to code switch. And it starts from this knack that he had when he was a kid that manifested in drawing. And then in, and for me, it was always like, it's a classic Asian thing where your parents are just like, ah, oh, why are you bothering with these artistic endeavors? You should do something mm. practical. And so for me, Hark is a is a is a tangent off of that. It's a limb off that tree 
where he's where his mother's saying do something practical and in her mind being practical is assimilating to white culture and would eventually become being a cop yeah yeah no it's interesting that that definitely checks out um it, throughout the run too there are all these examples of like really fascinating layouts and, and use mm-hmm. of like multi-plant panels and integrated flat flashbacks i've yeah. really appreciated as the run has progressed yeah. um it's really some tricky stuff where it's you're playing with you know time and, and yeah. chronology and things that happen in a memory are now showing yeah. up in current circumstances um the, the blend i think the collaboration here it's it's evident that is successful i think like the, this that stuff doesn't work if it's yeah. not um what's it been like for you working with you know alexandre tefenge and, and the team um and how how'd you all come together i mean it, it everyone the team is a dream and like i alex is a new friend but we talk now to you know once every two or three weeks uh we make it a point to just sort of keep in touch i partly to kind of keep our sanity going and all that um and it, it's it's been a dream like alex is so easy to work with so good at what he does he just wants to tell the story he just and and mm-hmm. I think that is the case for everyone on the team that I think everyone is doing some of their best work and every, and I think the exciting thing is that, you know, I think from the top coming on down, there's been, the thing I kind of love about the detective genre is for a pretty straightforward genre, it gives you a lot of um, room to experiment. And, and, and if you look at, you know, Starenko, Bendis, Darwin Cook, you know, Frank Miller, part of they are some of the best writers and cartoonists in comics and, and they're also they're also more some of the most experimental and part mm-hmm. of that is because that one of the things i quickly found is that when you're doing these kind of crime grounded crime stories um it can get pretty visually bland very quickly if you're not careful and so mm-hmm. some of the people that have excelled at it have really pushed how to present stuff on the comics page to kind of make this genre sort of sing. And so and and so with that, I think we've all kind of taken this as with those doors open to just experiment and play with the form. You know, like I'm really ha- like I don't tell, you know, Jeff Powell when his letters like do something you haven't done before, but as the letters come in it's like, "Oh wow, that's different. I've never seen him do this before. Yeah. I've never seen him do that before." And he, he's taking a bar and the same with Lee, same with Alex, same with me and we're all kind of borrowing from this tradition that was kind of set up in sort of crime comics already where it's just saying that like you know you're in order to make this work for comics you've got to you've got to really embrace and play with play with it otherwise it's just going to be the, the thing about noir that you find out very quickly and certainly the gumshoe noir that, that the good asian tracks in is that the best medium for it really is prose because it's mm-hmm. all dialogue it's all people thinking and it's all mostly people talking in rooms and yeah. once it's a, you get away from people talking in rooms, you also find out very quickly that the ways to alter that formula to make it a little bit more visually dynamic has already been cannibalized by superhero comics. So, you know, if there's too much of a chase scene, if there's too much of a f- dialogue during a fight scene, then all of a sudden it, it becomes Batman. So mm. it's about like, how do you use these techniques to kind of keep it within the noir world, which is, you know, reacting to things, um, conversations with people, but still keep it visually dynamic. And it forces you to experiment. And that's what's so been so great. Like everyone is a pro, everyone is, and being a pro means they're, they're, they want to tell the story, and but they want it to look good as they're doing it. And everyone's just experimenting and having fun. It's been such a pleasure to work with everybody. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that. In your in your crime noir research, which is which is clearly extensive, yeah. um, who are who are some of the authors or or sort of masters of the field that you encounter for the first time and uh, and that you oh, fell in love with for the first time? I mean, so yeah, the, yeah. The, the masters of the field, you know, obviously Dashiell Hammett and and Raymond Chandler, who I didn't I reread their stuff before this, so I didn't count them for the first time. I'd actually never read any Ross McDonald before starting starting the Good okay. Asian. So like, you know, getting into Lou Archer mysteries, you know. Um, I'm trying, there's uh, Leonard Chang did a he has a bunch of Alan Choice mysteries. The first one's Over the Shoulder that I really liked. Uh, Henry Chang has uh, a Chinatown uh, uh, Jack Yu series, uh, The Investigator Jack Yu, and uh, Chinatown Beat is one of those novels that I that I discovered. Um, you know, Walter Mosley I was aware, uh, familiar with before. I just read more of his novels. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who else. Who else in there? I think there's a bunch of sort of like, you know, went back to read some Agatha Christie stuff. Um, hmm. I think those are those are the ones that are jumping out to mind right now. I know that there were others, but uh, but those are the sure. ones that are jumping out to mind right now. Yeah, no, that's it's a great list. I've definitely through the the back matter and through the recs that you just gave. I've I've yeah. got all sorts of additions to my to read list. Definitely, <laughs> cool. like awesome. okay, I gotta I gotta dig into all this. I, you know, I've done a bit of the Raymond Chandler and the Dashiell Hammett yeah. in the past, but a lot of those stuff, I'm like, oh, this is because I, I feel like noir broadly is a thing that like. I've never spoken to somebody who's like, nah, don't like noir. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never, I've never had that conversation, right. you know. And I think in comics too, like you have like the Brubaker and Phillips who have yes. so solidified a certain kind yes. of comic book noir that is yes. like critically acclaimed yeah. and in- incredibly um, successful. Yeah. And and I think you know just by just pitching the good Asian as that, I think gets a lot of attention. Um, but then one thing I've realized is like actually there's a the whole world of this in in prose and outside of comics yeah. that I, I have not been exposed to that definitely I want to experience more of um yeah i think you're doing a good job shining a light on that thank definitely. you thank you thank you i mean it's, it's i will warn you too like once you start it is hard to quit um yeah. i need to like do research for some other stuff and all i have like four crime books on my shelf that's like ah maybe i just like jump into these first yeah <laughs> nice so how how long do you see the good asian going we're we're so the the first trade here i think is the first what is it five issues uh the first um, trade is the first four issues first four, four okay issues. so that's gonna Issue- be available Go yeah. ahead, go ahead. For, uh, the trade is the first four issues, so that's available in bookstores. Some bookstores now, some bookstores next week, I believe. Hmm. Um, or actually, maybe this week. Maybe this is the week. Yeah, yeah, no. Th- it, it would, it'll be out by week. the time this comes out. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll absolutely. link to it for sure. And uh, and then issue five and came out in comic stores around the same time. Yep. And uh, and so the first that makes the first five sort of ready to go. We, we're going for another five, making a 10-issue run. And then mm-hmm. after that, we'll see the, uh, you know, sales will kind of dictate uh, sure. what the next book if there's a next book, how long the next book is, and as I try to sort of figure out all that stuff. Cool, cool. So do you have like an escape hatch, like for for issue ten, like where it could be a conclusion if it needs to be, and, well, and hopefully not. The the way I sort of see it is each series of the Good Asian it is kind of a novel in and of itself. So yeah. you know, they, while there will definitely be threads that continue in sort of each quote unquote novel and each sort of series, like those series, like you know, like you know, I mean, I mean, when he wrote, well, actually, no, because. You know, even when Chandler, I want to say, even when Chandler wrote The Long Goodbye, I don't think he thought it was his last Chandler novel, uh, mm-hmm. Philip Marlowe novel, because I think he had, I think Payback was the, the manuscript, that, or maybe that was a screenplay, actually, now that I think about it. Um, but, like, for a lot of these stuff, they don't know when the last novel is, is. So, you know, it's just in success, these things sort of keep going. So, as a result, right. it's nice for me that I don't have to sort of build escape an escape hatch. It is, for, for me, I am, you know... To think in the, the the cinematic parlance that we've come so used to, you know, every series is kind of a movie, 
uh, and it can be sort of a standalone movie. And and something I've always liked about Shane Black is that what, what he says about movies is movies should be the most important day in someone's life. And so every series in that sense, it will be the most important day in, in Edison's Hark's life or, or the yeah. most important case that he's, he's worked in. And through them, we'll sort of track how he goes. But again, we'll see we'll see what the world is. There's a world where, you know, that we only get to sort of this first volume and and it's a lot easier one for me on the research if it if if we only get one volume um but but i you know but but if there is another volume i, de- I already know what uh i want it to be about i'm definitely in the process of taking a break before girding myself to do all that research because it is sort of one yeah, of the yeah. I, that's the other thing about the, the all these these particular books is it's a lot of research so it's it's, it's it burns a lot of calories on my end Sure, sure. No, I can see that. Well, cool. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like that approach. I think it's storytelling that, you know, in, in comics and, and obviously the superhero comics, you know, kind of drive this, but there can be this feeling of, of there's no conclusion, there's no yeah. ending. And I think that obviously making a satisfying whole or a satisfying yeah. chapter in the Edison Hark story is should be in, in his goal number one. Um, I think the first volume for people that haven't read it and have made it this far is is successful in that front and definitely recommend checking it out. Um, just on its own terms, but then it does it makes it leaves me wanting more, right? I, I definitely want more of this world. Um, so I'm looking forward to to what's to come. Uh, so you've you've talked about Edison Hark as a riff on Charlie Chan and sort of the success that media franchise has in American history around the same period, right? 20s, 30s, yeah. uh, 1930s. What takeaways did you have from like revisiting that media, those films, and kind of how has that influenced uh, the Good Asian? I mean, I think you know, but re- revisiting that sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> it's it, it, i would say revisit it, it's less revisiting that the the influence is less revisiting that sort of stuff and more revisiting the stuff that inspired that stuff you know yeah. uh looking at like edison hark is very much uh inspired and based on uh, inspired by changaparna the first chinese american cop in hawaii and that was the same place that charlie chan was inspired inspired from the real so, life inspiration yeah that character yeah yeah and so i take sort of a lot from that in terms of like the movies themselves you know the thing i think they're interesting as as you know uh you know cap uh, time capsules of the culture at the time um there's not that much stylistically you know it's it for me taking the charlie chan character is taking that and saying like okay from there these that's we have what we have in common is asian crime solver but i want to I kind of want to deconstruct that character a little bit. I kind of want to show sort of like why that character doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so much of, and so it's more that deconstruction of that character to sort of the reality, the racial history of America, but also what the Asian American experience was like at the time and say, okay, well, let's start, let's start with that bit and then let's just move it into sort of more into the, the the realistic world uh, of, of what the history is actually like. And so that is more, you know, where that sort of kind of came came from. So most of the in, the influences came from sort of the real life aspects of the character, as opposed to how that character, those real life actor, characteristics, were interpreted in the character of Charlie Chan and his adventures. Because most of the time, for the Charlie Chan adventures, it wasn't really about Charlie Chan. It was right. you know it was most of the time about the white protagonist, and he has the arc that goes and goes through. And Charlie Chan is a detective that helps put the pieces together so that sometimes it's the young millionaire being blackmailed gets to find the girl and do all this and do all the things. Right, right. No, that makes sense. It, it reminds me a bit of um, Victor Laval, his book, uh, The Ballad of Red Hook, which oh, is a sort of contemporary 
uh, reflection on an H.P. Lovecraft story. Right, kind right, of recontextualizing right. all the racism that right. is like very much at the heart of that and doing it through a modern lens and, th- and through a, a person of color as the author. It reminds me a bit of that in terms of like taking those things and then sort yeah. of re, yeah, like you said, deconstructing them and reworking mm. them for, you know, modern understanding and through a different yeah. lens. Um, and I, I think it's part of what makes it so compelling. Um, so you're you're going to be taking part, you mentioned, in a conversation in um, in APA history in comics with Gene Nguyen uh, Yang tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. And I think you've done a handful of other conversations like this over the, the past oh, few months. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of – this is the first one I'll be doing in person. I've done a bunch yeah. of stuff like this, like virtually. So – and I, we were talking before, you know, we started, we started recording about how, like, I've been surprised at how just doing things in person feels different in a way I wasn't expecting. Yeah, yeah. So it should be hopefully a an enjoyable and, and yeah. fun experience for you to get out and actually see some people and, yeah. and talk comics again. Yeah. Um, it, when you've been having these conversations and as you look forward to this one, what kind of like, what kind of inspiration or insights are you taking from either things Gene is saying or stuff that you're working out for yourself as you sort of talk comics with someone else who is like, you know, I would consider just a master of the yeah. field, right? Like such an icon. I mean, like you know. It... I've been influenced by so much of the stuff that Gene has, Gene has done. So that's that's number one. Um, you know, like from American Born Chinese, a shadow hero to, you know, um, oh God, but now I'm, oh, oh, Superman, Superman versus the Klan, you know, like mm-hmm. all, like so much of his stuff is sort of inspirational. And on top of that, it's hard for me to talk with a comics person and not be inspired and not want to create and not try to learn and try to steal thoughts that they have and, mm-hmm. and do my own spin on them. So. I'm looking forward to that, but honestly, more than anything else, like the idea that I'm going to be in the same physical space, like, and with another comic book creator, and I, you know, I have my comic creator friends here in LA. Josh Dysart is, is is a big one, but one that I don't, you know, one that I am not like in constant texting conversation with, like that's exciting to me. That's fun. It's just, you know, just to hear how his, you know, Gene, I think a couple of years back decided to like write comics full time because he was teaching on the side and because he yeah. loved he loved teaching so much and and so i'm i'm excited to talk to gene to sort of see like what this ver- new version of his life looks like and hmm. yeah I, you know it's i think all the the pandemic and all that sort of stuff it it sort of made us you know rediscover how much we we you know we really appreciated the the the, the, the really the really really simple things you know just yeah. being in another room talking with someone and how how amazing that is and and, yeah. and just being in the same room with someone whose work that you admire, and as I do, jeans. Right, right. No, it's cool. It is definitely. I think the pandemic, especially, you know, basically the series of interviews I've been doing, and this will mm. be number sixty some in the in the okay. podcast list on on CBH. Um, but it has definitely amplified my curiosity. I think just yeah. in terms of engaging and and conversing totally. with other people, which yeah. was already sort of there to begin with, but now right. it's it's also just like the acceptance of the ease of remote you know conferencing yeah. is like yeah. increasingly just like okay that's not this weird you know right. strange thing anymore um but no definitely it, it is I, I think those in-person conversations because they've been few and far between in my life definitely stand out yeah. <laughs> uh now as we hopefully get to do more of them you know yeah. fingers crossed right fingers crossed. um so i, I want to talk to you a little bit too so you got the good asian out i think everybody should check this out your your first work your first kind of big comics work that came out before this was infidel which yeah. came out i think uh 2018 yeah. there are obvious differences and parallels i think between these two works um coming out of the experience of infidel and those five issues what were some of the big things that you wanted to bring to the good asian that you didn't feel you got to do with infidel or was there anything where you were like oh i wish i hadn't yeah like like stuff that we were like i didn't get to flex those muscles you know like that you wanted to do 
one of the things that did that that I definitely wanted to flex in the Good Asian, and, and since you already already mentioned, is sort of the design aspect of the Good Asian of the of the page of the paneling and all that. One of the things for Infidel is Infidel's you know main goal is to scare you, and mm -hmm. so all the techniques in Infidel are there to get you more invested in this on the page, to make you forget that you're reading a page, that to make it feel as close to a cinematic experience as possible using the language of comics. Yeah. Um, so as a result, there's a lot of stuff and you see it in the good Asian that I like in comics, more design oriented sort of, you know, d design oriented paneling and using the page as, you know, as, as its own kind of sort of work of art to, to, to convey a specific idea that wasn't appropriate for infidel and, and for mm -hmm. infidel the goal was to was to make was to not call attention to the page because if we were calling attention to the page then we were taking you out of the story and it, and it just got that much harder to scare you so in mm -hmm. a certain sense we wanted the page to be invisible we wanted you to just sink into the storytelling rhythm and forget the fact that hey you are reading a comic book hmm. um for the good asian that's different partly because the detective genre is a very cerebral genre it it can be very cold certainly the protagonists start off cold and you kind of and you kind of work from there so as a result there's already that remove because there's already that remove that uh, and and i certainly didn't come out come at this by myself like it's reading the work of bendis and cook and and you know brew baker and and frank miller and all that sort of stuff and tom king and watching all those like masters of craft work it's just like oh one we need to find a way to kind of keep something that's basically like, you know, people thinking and people noticing and people talking rooms visually interesting, uh, but also to, <clears throat> you know, and, and keep that innovative, but but also to because of all that, it gives you the room to play with the page, to call attention to the page, to sort of yeah. say, hey, you're reading a page right now. There's a page in issue one, the first chapter of the Good Asian, where the page is just the worth the next day. But there's there's imagery in those words, and there's action, and it leads into the scene. I couldn't do that in Infidel. I couldn't, you know, uh, the good Asian leans on style. It celebrates style, and I we couldn't do that on Infidel. I mean, which is not to say Infidel isn't stylish, because Aaron is a, is quite the stylist. But the style in there is to be invisible in a certain sense, is to yeah. not get you to realize you're reading a page and just fall into the narrative a little bit more. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I, that definitely stands out. I mean, when I went and read Infidel, I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that until mm -hmm. hearing you say it, but it mm -hmm. was such a page one to, to the end experience mm -hmm. where I'm just, I, I was, I was absolutely sinking into it, just flip, 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 right? Going through that story and, and being terrified yeah. <laughs> by yeah. Aaron Campbell's designs and monsters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, whereas the good Asian, no, definitely. There's more of that like craft like looking at it as a medium perspective and being like, oh, that's really interesting. Like these panels, you know, structure like this and all these flashbacks. Yeah, that's that's funny that you mentioned that because yeah. now I can totally see it. Yeah. Um, both successful like, in their own way, yeah. Yeah, like so Infidel very much, all the design was just for you to not to not notice the design. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, for the good Asian, we can be a little bit more self-conscious about the design where we can sort of say like, look how much fun we're having with the page here. You yeah. know, uh, and, and again, it, it's the equal amount of work. It's just where you're shining a spotlight to it. And Infidel, you know, we didn't get that... The fact, the credit we took for all the design choices we made at Infidel is are people saying, wow, that's the scariest comic I've ever read. I've never been scared mm -hmm. for a comic before. That, that's a great thing to hear, but it also to us, it means that, oh, all the design choices we made were working. Whereas yeah. for the good Asian, 
you see the design choices. They are very upfront on the page. And, right. and, and again, so, so it, it, we just get a little bit more credit for it on the good nation. Yeah. Yeah. It's more right. Like you're how thoughtful it is in putting it in the page. That, yeah. No, it definitely checks out. So it, in getting to both of these comics, too, as we kind of wind the clock back, you have a really interesting career path, right? Especially for comics fans. You know, you worked with Karen Berger on Vertigo books. Um, you worked on setting up the Arrowverse, it sounds yeah. like, with yeah. and the CW. And, and you've yeah. done some, like, writing for Cloak and Dagger and TV. Yeah. Um, how did, how did all, this, all that experience clearly has has exposed you and, and integrated your, you know, your own past work into all sorts of amazing stories? What are like kind of the biggest lessons? I guess especially on the TV side, that kind of you take to your own comic storytelling. Like, how are those totally separate halves of your brain, or do you find yourself like, oh, like this thing we did in the Arrowverse? I think that really works in comics. One of the things I think the big thing that I took out out of that time was the realization that you know, I my my bread and butter is TV and comics, but at the same time, when I was at you know that job as an executive. Uh, I would overlap a lot with theatrical feature feature stuff, and the features that at least Warner Brothers brings are a very specific type of type of feature, and, and at least the, what they were looking at DC for. And one of the things I've realized is that between comics, comics, TV, and the features that Warner Brothers were looking at DC for, is that while they were from the outside looking in, they all are cars, but once you pop the hood, the wiring is completely different. They all run on different things. And so one of the things I realized is, that, you know, when you're studying it in that way, you realize like, oh, comic book runs on conceptual thinking that maybe not a good comic, but you can get a perfectly decent comic by just stringing concept, 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 concepts and finding some narrative through line through that concept. And you'll get a satisfying concept. It might not be emotional. There might not be a ton of spectacle, but um, but you can get a decent comic sort of doing that. Yeah. Television runs on emotion. And similarly, it might not be the best the best TV show you've ever read, but you can get an episode of television just by running through emotional beat, emotional beat, emotional beat, coming through a through line through those emotional beats. Mm. Movies, at least the ones that Warner Brothers were looking at DC for, runs on spectacle. And again, same mm. formula, spectacle, 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 you run a through line through that. You might not get the best movie in the world, but you will get something that you sort of enjoy. And so when, when I started looking at it that way, it became, you know, like Alan Moore, uh, is one of the best comic book writers in the world, and yet his stuff, some of his stuff, can be very cold, and yet that doesn't make them not good comic books. They make they're great comic books he has that are very cold. From Hell, I would describe as cold. It's a masterpiece, and yeah. so, and so, one of the w things that I sort of took from it is, you know, when do you when do you use and when do you borrow from certain tricks? And I think mm -hmm. the biggest thing for me is that. And I, I actually think this is where a lot of TV writers coming into the comics trip up is that because comics can there's more density for conceptual thinking, if there isn't a lot of conceptual thinking there, it feels light. And and that and that's why I like to pack my books with sort of a lot of content. I probably go too far, but I like the idea of a fuller experience. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, though. The things that comics, it's not that they don't do them, but it, the medium isn't set up as easily to do is emotion. And so as a result, you have to structure a page around an emotional beat. Whereas on a script, an actor can come in, just deliver a line in a certain way, and all of a sudden you've got this emotional beat that wasn't there. There's not yeah. the equivalent in comics. If I want an emotional beat in comics, I've got to think my entire page about I'm thinking about my entire page and how to land a very specific emotional beat. And usually mm -hmm. any emotional beats I make along the way are all driving towards a central emotional beat that I'm going there. Just because yeah. you know, but on the other hand on comics, 
I can throw and you know Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore they do it. I can throw fifteen concepts on there, and it, the page will work because as a reader I control the pace of the information, so I can right. stop and be like, "That's a crazy idea. I'm going to think about that for thirty seconds." Okay, now I'm going to engage in the rest of the story. Whereas you don't have the luxury of doing that in film or TV. Too much conceptual thinking in film and TV actually distracts you from the narrative, and all of a sudden you, you're lost and you can't follow things. So mm. in that particular case, for me, understanding that television does emotion really well, and if I'm going to do emotional beats in comics, you know, I need to sort of build emotion. You know, I need to build scenes around to 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 speak to those emotional beats in the same way that if I'm in television, television doesn't do conceptual thinking very well. So I have to build a scene around explaining a conceptual idea. You know, because in comics, one caption, we can fly it off in the same way in television, one actor can say a line. All of a sudden, I've got feels that I didn't realize I had before. So it's yeah, just really yeah. what's the strength of each and then realizing, OK, if this is the strength of this, I've got to build more to, to get this response and then to get that response. And then it's then it's sometimes looking at like, oh, wow, that cool emotional beat in on an episode of Arrow. I do want something similar to it. You know, I want to pilfer from that and use it in comics, but then it's about, well, all right, but let's make sure I understand how it works in comics because it's not going to be one-to-one. Hmm. That's a great breakdown. I, I think in The Good Asian, too, you definitely, as you're explaining that, I can see, I think, the time and the care that you put into building emotions across issues mm. as well, right? Especially in terms of the relationship between mm. um, Edison and, um, and I'm forgetting the, the love interest name now. Oh, Vic- but Victoria. Victoria, thank you. Yeah. I was going to say Veronica. I'm like, no, that's Archie. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> Victoria, no, like there's there's careful seating yeah, building. Yeah, too. We know there's a relationship. We know there's animosity. We don't totally know why, right? And then it, yeah. it, and it's building, and you can see it. it it's harder, probably, I yeah. imagine, to build that and to get to that emotional beat later on, right? You're doing all that stuff so that it'll pay off later. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't just have that, like you said, that actor, actress come in and just sell it. Yeah. Right, quite the same way. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Morrison. You know, I feel like a creator like Morrison will come in and it's 15 concepts in one yeah. panel, right? Yeah, it's exactly. like, you know, exactly. it's like, boom, boom, it's just a million. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I could spend all day thinking about those or I could read the rest right. of the story. Exactly. You know? <laughs> 100%. So, yeah, that's and awesome. It, it, that's awesome. And it's one of the things about someone like Morrison, but also some of the great comics too, they, they're denser than they appear. You know, mm. it's, it's the experience of reading a Grant Morrison comic isn't the experience of reading those words. It's also the experience of, the tangents you take thinking about the concepts that he, he brings up and just the pauses that you make and the, oh my God, and wait a minute, you know, and that's part of that experience. And, yeah. you know, and I think that's the other aspect of it too, when you're looking at this stuff is just like, what is the experience that you want? And, you know, like the back matter that we talked about, that's for me, that comes from a tradition of, you know, from hell with, you know, his, all of his footnotes, his extensive, Alan Moore's extensive yeah. footnotes, but it also comes from like, and, and I say this, but I, but I like, I haven't actually read Infinite Jest myself, but knowing that like mm. all the footnotes that are in there are kind of their own novel in and of itself is finding like yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it, like three hundred pages. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, so it's, but it's like a tandem narrative that sort of happens, and that's kind of what the back matter is meant to be—sort of this tandem narrative mm. that is related but also separate. And you can, you know, if you don't want to get in there, you don't have to, but hopefully you're so invested in all this stuff, you do go there. And like, and again, it, it's there's no rules around it, but it's something mm. that, you, that you can kind of play with. I love that approach. Yeah. No, I mean, the back matter is so additive. I just, I can't emphasize enough how much I value that. And, but it is, I will say it is definitely two parts of my brain, right? right? It's definitely like when I finish the comic, I'm not necessarily in the same state of mind where I'm like, I'm going to read the back matter immediately. A lot of times I'll like step away and come back. And then I'm like, okay, I have more of an appetite for information now 
distilled in yeah. this way and then and then i read it that way and 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 find tremendous tremendous value in it so it's i love that yeah it's it's such a I feel like back matter like that, especially like in the image book, certain, right? It's it's your thing, right? It's yeah. your creator own yeah. thing. So you can deliver what experience you like. And I think a lot of times as a comic reader, I'm conditioned to think like, oh, the back matter is just like, oh, it's just letter columns or it's just right. bonuses or, or or it's not it's not necessarily crucial to the experience. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not necessarily, I don't necessarily treat it in the way that like, okay, Watchmen has deliberate like fictional right. back matter right yeah, and you yeah consider yeah. that a part of the text um but with the good agent i would say like this is that's a part of the text like that is a yeah. necessary for me at least as a, as a reader that's a necessary bit to cool. to understand and enjoy the story yeah i'm glad i'm glad i'm really glad cool yeah so so what's next for you what's coming up that you're excited about we got more of the good agent coming but got, uh, what else is on your radar we've got more of the good agent coming i think right i'm at that stage unfortunately where all my projects that i'm working on i, I can't talk about I can't talk about yet. Yeah. So, yeah. um, what what is stuff that I can't talk about? I I you know I've done a couple short stories. So I did one with Peter Gross for the uh um oh god uh the 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 greatest the most important comic book in the world, which is uh which is uh the anthology um that that wow I'm doing a bad job pitching it the anthology uh <laughs> that that is trying to fight that's trying to raise money to fight climate change and yeah. and and they've like the, there's like a murderer's row of talent and there's Kieran Gillen and Sean Phillips, but also like, you know, Jane Goodall's doing stuff. Ricky Gervais is doing stuff. Cara Delevingne's doing stuff. Brian Azzarello yeah. is doing stuff. So there's a, it's a grab bag of people, you know, and it's all the pro profits from the book are going, it's all going to raise awareness and, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, to, for, to environmental causes and to people who've devoted their lives to these causes. My story is about, uh, they introduced me to, uh, Dima Litnovic, and who is who's a Greenpeace uh, who works for Greenpeace, and he's an amazing human. And and actually meeting him was like like really important for me in my life when I talked yeah. to him because it was coming when I was doubting a sort of a lot of stuff, and hearing him talk just really inspired me. Um, yeah. And then and then I have a short story that I'm doing um, for my my old boss Jeff Johns uh, for his Geiger 80 page giant, and he paired me up with Sean Galloway, who's oh my god, I love his art so much. Nice, so yeah. The chance to work with Sean was just amazing. And then, and then the bigger projects, though, unfortunately, I can't talk about just yet. No, for sure, for sure. That's pretty much all these interviews. I'm always there's always <laughs> there's always the stuff you can't talk about, right? Yeah, totally yeah. just a part of the business and the part of the careers. But then, what I always like to joke with people is then, like when when you inevitably announce something really cool down the road, I'll yeah. be like, "Yep, I knew about it first. I knew, <laughs> right, right, I knew right, it was right. coming. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't yeah. know what it was." <laughs> right, right, right. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, where where else should people find you? Where should people look for you for your work? I'm also at real underscore pornsack for Twitter and real underscore PSAC for our Instagram. Perfect, perfect. Well, this was a pleasure. Again, The Good Asian, one of my favorite books of the year. Highly, highly recommended. We'll include all the links in the show notes. Um, but Pornstick, it was awesome talking to you, and I really appreciate you taking the time. It was fantastic talking to you, man. I really enjoyed this. Great.